Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Yo, people, Anna David with After Party Pod. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, a website determined to change the face and get rid of the stigma around addiction and recovery. Now, After Party is a part of RehabReviews.com, the world's largest resource for treatment centers across the globe. You can go there to see if your rehab stay could be free. Go to RehabReviews.com slash benefits dash check. What else can you do there, you may ask? You can get a Recover Girl t-shirt. Just go to RehabReviews.com slash after dash party slash shop. Anyway, you'd know all of this if you were signed up for our newsletter. What are you doing? Go sign up. RehabReviews.com slash newsletter dash sign dash up. Now here's the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey, you guys. It's Anna David with After Party Pod, something you know because you just listened to that intro, that ad intro, whatever you want to call it. I have made a conscious decision to make these intros more professional sounding. I've been listening to other podcasts and and really liking when people do that. So what am I listening to in particular? I've been listening to uh, the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwick. You know, I I think I just... I originally started this podcast because I was such a fan of podcasts. And at some point, I think I forgot that and I stopped listening. And I have somebody coming on on the show. I'm going to uh, New York this weekend in D.C. um, for that Unite to Face Addiction rally. It'll be long over by the time you hear this, but I'm sure it will be pretty spectacular. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure I'll have written something on the site about it by then. And it's lots of other people will have too. But regardless, I'm interviewing somebody in New York for the podcast, somebody I've been very excited to get on. And I was thrilled he said yes. And I am not going to say his name because what if he bails and I have to then come back and feel humiliated, which I wouldn't, but I wouldn't feel happy about it. So uh, that's happening. Now, what else did I want to tell you? Okay, I'm now a life coach. What do you think of that? Tell me the truth. I went and got certified to become a life coach. And originally, I thought I'm doing this because this will be a great thing to have in my back pocket, as they say. You know, I went to UCLA a few years ago to get a... a, a, Jesus, I can't even say it. I dropped out, so that's part of why I can't say it. I think that there's some shame in that. Um, Getting certified to become a drug and addiction counselor over there. And I was only doing it to sort of uh, educate myself. I, I knew that I would never become a counselor. 
And so by the same logic, I thought, I will, I will learn about life coaching and I will learn what this is about and it will inform what I'm doing. And possibly, I thought... I could do some workshops. I, I do think about that as I think about after party expanding. I think about doing workshops where you are helping people to write and heal simultaneously. It's not about writing to get published, although that could certainly be part of it, but writing out their stories, whether they're addiction stories or any other stories, and, and, and getting comfortable with that. And I thought, huh, I could incorporate life coaching into that. And then then I was off on, we could be in Jamaica and we could be in Hawaii and we could be getting massages and drinking smoothies in between all of this. And it, you know, the brain goes where it will go. But anyway, after learning this process and how to do it, I have to say, I'm kind of interested and excited about doing it. And I am not saying this. I am saying this. I'm not good at very much. What I'm good at, I'm very good at, but there's just so much I can't do in the world. And so I, so take that, what I'm about to say with that knowledge, uh, the teacher said I had a gift. I do feel like this falls into this very specific skill set I have, which has to do with uh, obsessively uh, connecting to and remembering what anybody says having to do with emotions and remembering and connecting to almost nothing else. So I think I'm going to not only start doing this, but also start by doing this on the podcast. Yep. Live for you. And uh, my first friend today said, not my first friend, but a friend who knows I did this came to me today and said, I really need help. Can we do this today? So I'm about to I tried walking my mom through this over the phone, you know, doing life coaching on her, and that didn't work very well. But but I think that, that this will. So I'm excited. The guest today is an old friend of mine, and she's lovely, and, and it's a really fun interview. Her name is Kristen McGinnis. She's an extremely talented writer, and if we could afford her, we'd have her writing for After Party. Uh, she uh, is the best-selling author of the book 5150, the Magical Adventures of a Single Life. And that book was an LA Times bestseller and was optioned. And she is spectacular. She writes for a bunch of other places. And she's now doing ghostwriting, which she talks about. And her dad was this this drug kingpin. It, it's a really good interview. So I hope you will enjoy it and uh, enjoy her. So this is Kristen McGinnis. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my god, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Yeah. We're going. Oh, we're going. We're going. Okay. I might even take off my shoes. Good, feel free. I'm wearing a knee brace. Yeah, why so. are you wearing that? Because I'm attempting to lose baby weight and started running again and uh, injured my knee. Not running. I injured it walking across the dining room. And so <laughs> so and the running thing is irrelevant. No. Yeah, no. I just, I, I just heard it because I stepped into the dining room. Did you hurt it from lack of sleep and baby brain? 
No, I think I just heard it because I hurt myself frequently. Do you? Are you accident prone? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah, I'm one of those people that get like staph infections and weird things that nobody else gets. Uh, no, well, a girl who works for me just got a staph infection and she tried to tell me about it and I was so repulsed that I made her stop. I didn't. Yeah. I, I get, so the, sorry. I get the thing that nobody else has, that the doctor's like, wow, I haven't really seen this in a long time. Really? I don't even know how that happened to you, honestly. Uh, yeah. I'm like that with uh, technology. <laughs> Whenever I take it to the I, no one's ever had this before. TechMD is like, we've just never seen this issue. Yeah, Genius Bar is like, yeah. so strange. <laughs> um, but so, okay, so I'm so glad you're here. This is both, um, you know, an episode and a catch-up yes, for it us. Is. Because we were going to have lunch. In lieu of lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, hey, we could skip the food and we could just talk. Um, With microphones. And just with microphones, which apparently you love. Yeah, I do. Ever since I was a kid. Really? Yeah. I should have been a performer. Just anything to hold a microphone is really a good time for me. Don't you sort of in some ways feel like being a writer is being a performer or no? It is. Yeah. I mean, I think to a certain extent, but I don't know. I I don't really write that much anymore, I feel like. So I've, I've lost that even medium for performance. But I also think that, I mean, for me, some of the funnest parts of being a writer was getting to go out and actually be in front of people with it. Right. You know, right. Well, I, sometimes I don't think I actually like to write. <laughs> I just like the end product. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is funny because I ghost write. Right. So, so I don't, don't even, even get, get the, the end joy. product. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's some famous quote by who I can't remember that's, I don't like writing. I like having written. Yes. Yeah. No, that's me. Yeah. Do you go through this thing? I know we're not talking about addiction, but yeah, it's fine. Um, do you go through the thing where you're writing and you're going, I'm not enjoying this. Why am I a writer? I thought I enjoyed this. Yeah. And you're beating yourself up for not enjoying it more. That's why I don't write. I'm like, really? I just don't like it. And then I'm like, and then I sit around and I think, oh, I should be writing right now instead of watching America's Next Top Model season 22. But, right. But I'm right. like, why? Because I don't like writing and I like watching America's Next but Top Model season 22. But you do like writing. You couldn't be as good at it as you are and not like it at all or could you i don't know i don't know that i'm that maybe because i now wonder whether i'm actually that good at it so oh, then the two you know a, the two a get thing. into a nasty dance then yeah uh, do you think that um okay like i used to do uh when i would do when i do i guess it just has been a while on air tv things especially when you're in a little room by yourself and so mm-hmm. you, it's just maddening i would finish and i'd go oh my god that was so awful i was so awful and then i'd go well wait a minute they always ask me back so maybe i'm not as awful at it as yeah. i think do you think, given your success as a writer, that possibly you, that theory that you might not be good at it is incorrect? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I write things for other people. And sometimes editors know that it's that I'm on board. Other times they don't. They just think that the person I'm writing for is Wrote it. that person. Yeah. And then they get this amazing feedback, like, this is one of the greatest pieces we've read. and And I'm like... I can cuss, right? We're the oh, yeah, internet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I'm like <laughs> I'm like, shit, man, like why aren't I like why aren't I putting my name on things? Like that doesn't make sense. Like if I'm that good, like why am I doing why am I staging this for somebody else's? But success? you get that feedback when you do write under your own name. I do, I just write less and less now under my own name. Okay, unless I'm writing ran- like random articles for sober websites. <laughs> well, so okay, so, so that's, that's what my writing's limited to these days. Hold on, hold on. You had a LA Times best selling book, let's be clear. Yes. Uh, and uh, Five years ago. Oh, God. Well, but isn't it just mostly how depressing the time passes? Yeah. More is. than like the yeah. not writing. Yeah. But okay. So 5150, it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the subtitle? 
The Magical Adventures of a Single Life. And it was a book where you spent a year. Go on, you tell okay. it. I, uh, I had one year of sobriety, which mm-hmm. meant if you follow the rules, you can date. And mm-hmm. at that point, I was kind of following the rules. I did pretty good. You know, started off a little rough. And mm-hmm. then after getting screwed over by enough boys within the first six weeks of sobriety, it was like, okay. I'm going to do that like, you know, mancation. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, at a year's point, I decided I was going to basically go out on a date every week for a year. But it was the time when Britney Spears had that 5150. And so I thought, oh, oh yeah, the, the, yeah, the 5150 was out in the like. In the cultural landscape. Yes. The, the umbrella. The umbrella and the, the shaved, shaved head. head. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, you know what would be really cute? Um and brilliant would be to do 51 dates in 50 weeks ah. and then use the 5150 title since it was about being sober and dating. Absolutely. So, and it was, so it was sort of like a sober in the city yeah. set in LA. Uh, this is a girl who's done some marketing for this uh, yeah. book. This is a girl that tried to make a TV show. So, well, yeah. I remember a fancy actress was attached. Yeah. Is she still? No. We went out... Um, it, is it, we'll talk about this. Yeah, um, this is fun, why right? I don't write anymore. Um, last uh, end of summer, yeah, last year, we actually took it into networks to pitch. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks prior, um, one major network where we thought we were for sure deal, our writer was actually from that network. They told us that they weren't doing any more shows on addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, our writer decided to pull the entire e addiction and sobriety thread out of the book oh my god so basically what you discover really quickly is if you have a person or character who behaves like an addict without actually having an addiction right they're 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 a narcissistic sociopath (laughs) so (laughs) and um nobody nobody likes a narcissistic sociopath unless they're hannibal lecter which my character didn't have that level of charisma right right very quickly like fell on its face and that's what was went out and pitched was this really immature, vapid girl doing absolutely inane things without the excuse of addiction. Right, right. Which just isn't attractive or really even interesting, I think. So it really, like, they went out and pitched it. They pitched it to three major cable, you know, Mm-hmm. online entertainment networks and even though we had awesome people attached we were no no node and very quickly afterwards everybody just sort of melted off the project yeah which yeah. is what happens yeah so. who was the actress or does it not matter anymore Alison Brie who is like I just was reading who's in a movie about addiction did you know that that just came out yes she's a sex addict sex addict yes. yeah 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 yeah. and she was doing that movie at the time that we were pitching this right and she's awesome i actually the reason she got on board was that i used to work with her mom i remember and like all good things it was like personal and yeah i love her mom and her mom loves me and that's how i met ali and she's and she was awesome and she right. was great and then our writer was actually a writer from nurse jackie and he was awesome wow. and he's great and unfortunately, you know, you you listen to the one note that you probably shouldn't listen to, and I you know. lose the story. And it's like, doesn't, I mean, everybody has that tale of woe. You know, yeah. So. I mean, with, with my memoir, I remember they, the, the people who were making community, mm-hmm. they never bought it. You know, the new thing is they don't even option it. Yeah. They're just like, oh, you're so excited that we're yeah. interested that we totally. just... Totally, that's all we have to do. Yeah. And so, of course, I was like, sign me up. And they brought in a writer who... who you know, in quotes, every single network wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. And she was lovely. And I just would sit in these meetings and she was like, 
she would just she was like well instead of you being this you're going to be this the best friend is good so just like changes for the sake of changes absolutely yeah i didn't really and then then they made me i went on all the pitches i had said to them please and this is what i say with every if there's ever interest in a book take it go sell it i don't care what you do with it i don't care who you sell to come back and let me know when the check's coming i don't care and instead they said you know we think you being in the room would really help so i would just sit in the room um trying to look cute and (laughs) and then i would have to get a call later that day oh nbc pass oh abc pass and i was like because i said to them i experienced enough rejection i don't need it about something that i i'm not even writing yeah and ultimately really stops being about you yeah at a certain point i mean that was they wouldn't let me in the room because i talk too much right i think they were afraid (laughs) that i would basically hijack it and then they'd be like wait who's writing this thing like i don't get it so i and i and i don't know i i I feel like maybe had i been in the room we could have done a better Uh, job but right right i know but it you know at the end of the day it was uh we got a little too close to the sun it was like it was one of those things we were like I mean, I've worked in entertainment and development, and so it's not like I didn't have a realistic view of, like, the chances of it happening. Like, I understood it was a lottery prize, but as you get closer, you begin to realize, like, you're holding the golden ticket, you know? And so that lottery starts to feel less and less. Within reach, yeah. Yeah, it does. So it was definitely... Thankfully, I was pregnant, and literally the day we found out that Showtime passed was the day I found out I was having a little girl, Mm. and I, like, could have cared less. Like, I was like, whatever, I'm having a little girl. So it really wasn't until after she was born that I think then I had to mourn the loss of the project because all of a sudden I was like oh shit now what am what am I doing which is also fun with um you know postpartum hormones probably oh yeah it was a good time um I forgot to set the second recorder because um I just do it because I'm super paranoid that things aren't working but things are totally working okay good um so, okay, so, but, you know, in terms of the lottery ticket, um, you know, you'd already sold the book. Like, that feels like the lottery ticket. Okay, wait, let's let's take it back. Yeah. Because, so you worked for Regan Books, and you were living in New York. Yeah, briefly. I had actually, when I will get into the getting sober part. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm no, being no, totally we, distracting just, about you, that. You took, you took it there. Um, I had been living in LA for a couple of years, and... My uncles kind of intervened and said, hey, I don't think this is a party anymore. I think this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And why don't you come and live with one of us? And so I had the choice between my gay uncle in Florida and my Republican uncle in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But since I'm from Dallas, I was like, I'll go to the Dallas. Republican, yeah. Because yeah, I just, I felt like mm, that's probably safer than Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. I actually have done a significant, I mean, I've done a significant amount of partying in both cities, but I at least had like more of a network in Dallas. So I moved there. And I, um, I got sober for the first time. I ended up working as a secretary at Mary Kay Cosmetics Shut up. in okay. a department where to this day, I still don't know what they did. All I know is they scheduled meetings about having meetings. That's all I know. <laughs> and like my job every day was to update the org chart. Like that's, but I had to wear pantyhose. Oh my God. And it was actually during a period where my car had gotten in a wreck and I was driving like it for some reason, an old, it was with an old lady. And so I was driving like this weird least like say, Mercury Sable from like 1998 and wearing pantyhose and Amazing. going into the office at Mary Kay and like chain smoking cigarettes on my break, like feeling 
feeling like I was trapped in a bad early 80s sitcom. Like, Well, that and that you were 57 years old, probably. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't sound like, you know, No, I mean, a, a year prior, I had been, like, at the Beverly Hills Hotel and was, like, taking meetings with directors. Right. And, like, had, like, a big producer boyfriend. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And I had an opportunity in the midst of that amazing job to go and work for Judith Regan in New York. I literally took the interview in, in the stairwell of Mary Kay Cosmetics, like with my pantyhose on, talked to Judith Regan, uh. and I was like, anything to get out of a pair of pantyhose. Yeah. And two days later, I was on a plane in New York. Wow. And that's how I ended up in New York with Regan. Yeah. Um, very tentatively sober at that point, because then I all I did was work. So yeah. I didn't do the things that you need to do to stay sober, because right. I lived and breathed Judith Regan for six months. Right. And you didn't have time to drink, really. Yeah, you didn't have time. Well, she hated alcoholics, so I could not tell her that I was an alcoholic. She didn't drink either, so mm-hmm. we just kind of bonded over that neither of us drank. Mm-hmm. Like, she was way more into, like, rage. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Keep in mind that, that I'm obsessed with this, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. You're obsessed with it, Judith? <laughs> well, only because it you was my be. dream to sell a yeah. book to her, and I yeah. did, yeah. you know? And uh, I was there when I know, you that's sold so that book. weird. So wait, what happened? So you weren't in the meetings. I was in one meeting with you on the phone. The weirdest thing, it was a meeting when we had moved. So we moved the offices out to L.A. Yes. Regan came out to L.A., and that was the other part of me taking the job, in addition to it being my dream job as well, because I had right. worked in book publishing when I was first out of college. That's what I did. Um, I worked at St. Martin's and then I worked at Simon & Schuster in editorial for a couple of years wow, before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then I came out to L.A. as just sort of a post-9-11 drug-induced meltdown. And so I um, – it was – and I mean I love books. I love book publishing. I'd gladly go back if there was an industry here outside of our mutual friend Dan Smetanka who's like the only – The only one. And also yeah. you'd go back if you could probably make more than $19,000 a year. Oh, Totally. Totally, yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I'd probably still make. I'd be willing. To, I was always willing to give up a paycheck for that kind of job. Really? I, still do. I work in nonprofit. You know, when I'm not writing for recovery websites, so I've right. never really. Um, I guess I should go to DA for under earning. But the um, well, I will say, <laughs> we at After Party can't afford you. That's the truth. So, are you an under earner? Because like I, I wouldn't know. even insult you with like I know. Our money. Well, you know that, or maybe I did. I still and that's how know. I, found out. I actually went to you and was like, "All right," and you were like, "I won't even insult you." I'm like, "Insult me." I mean, I do really far, far lesser things. No, but I just well, I screwed myself because I hired you at the fix. Yeah, and I had come up with what the fix was going to pay. That's awesome. We love you for that. I know. They still pay that. It's crazy. They don't need to. <laughs> but I didn't know. Shh, I didn't know. It. And so then when I, when I started after party, I realized that the fix had gone under and that one of the reasons it had gone under and now it's you know obviously revived and better was that we were bleeding money yeah and i paying writers all this money that they still pay that's i know yeah i know know. and so i mean i'd be happy to insult you and (laughs) and bring you into this fold but you know i'm i'm realistic and one of my writers tracy jabalit loves you and we're we're always somehow talking about you and i love tracy yeah it's amazing and i'm so excited she's got a writing career now it's funny you know in a minute i know 
It's crazy. I feel a little like I discovered her. That's awesome. Oh, that's how I sort of felt about you because like you yeah. hadn't been doing online no, writing. You taught me how to actually write journalistic pieces. Oh, like you were literally bless. my teacher. I had no idea how to, I had never done that before. I'd only written in first person. So right. Yeah, so, right. Oh yeah. I mean, one day when I have like my booming New York times career, I'll be, <laughs> be like, Anna David taught me everything I know. I, when you <laughs> accept the award at the national journalism thing yeah. that I don't even know exists. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay, and so so you're so so you take your drinking and drugging career from Dallas to from from LA to Dallas to New York to LA. Yeah, I do. Okay. I did a triangle you basically did. with yeah. my life. Yeah, so I just kept going. Like started in Dallas, went to New York, ended up in LA, went back to Dallas, went back to New York, ended up in LA, and really haven't moved since. Okay. Outside of that one year in Paris, that you know, <gasps> the year in Paris. <laughs> year in I Paris. forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. But yeah, so I ended up with Judith and and we did have a conference call in LA and you were on, you must have been in New York or you weren't in LA. I don't know. I know. I I mean, I I definitely remember you being on the speaker in the middle of the desk. Because... Yeah, who, who? I loved Maureen. I loved my editor. Yeah. I loved that it looked like I was going to have a career like the one in um, that Reese, that Renee Zellweger, uh, Ian, Ewan McGregor career where, oh, you never saw that movie, Down With Love, where no. like, it's what like being a book author is supposed to be like. Yeah. And like, her life is fabulous. fabulous and she hangs out yeah. with her editor and they all go for drinks and everything yeah. is perfect. Um, but it would have been the sober version. And yeah, yeah, that's how it I felt thought, back then. I thought that I was going to have that too. I know. Well, and does, you do have those moments though. I mean, everybody does. You have that, like, I mean, I was saying about this morning, you know, like you go and you speak at Barnes and Noble or Book Soup and like you go out and you have the party afterwards and everybody's like, yeah. sign this book. And you're like, oh my God, I've made it. And then like, you know, the rest of... Then the, there's the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, then there's the rest of your life. <laughs> so not like that. But okay, so, so yes and no. I so, know, I know, it's true. Um, and it, it, but also you start to realize, like I truly believed, and, and I was talking about, have you read, uh, do you know Blackout, that new book by Sarah Heppel? Yes, yes, yes. So yes. She, was the, she was on the podcast last week. Oh, nice. Wow, I know. God, I'm, I'm good company. I know, she's amazing. Yeah. We were talking about just like how it never makes you happy. Yeah. She's had the kind of success like that we, we all, all dream wanted, of. Yeah. you know, yeah. and the truth is, and she's totally grateful. It's not that, but yeah. it's just none, none of it actually gives you the happiness that you pretend it will. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, I mean, it's like, like I think it's fleeting, though. Yeah, you know, I think that. Yeah, I think it's happy in moments. But like, no matter what, you still have life, have life. Yeah. I mean, I know there was a moment where like when we were and I'm sure you had this too, like when you're I was in a meeting for the book to become a TV show and we were meeting with these two writers who ended up not being on the project but they loved the book and they're like pitching me my life. Yes. And like, you know, my ego is just probably bigger than that room. Right. And I was like as high as a kite. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally, it was like I had done a mound of cocaine. Right. I was so, you know, freaking stoked. And I left and I was like, you know what? No matter what happens, I've gotten to have that moment. And that's it. Who the hell gets to have that moment in right. life? You right. know, like, right. I mean, it's self-aggrandizing and, you know, and whatever, but it, but it's also really exciting that like something you did has led to this place where other people want to like do it with you, know. you know? And yeah. that's really like, that's awesome. You know? And it was like, yeah. you got to like celebrate the little victories and just be like, yeah, like, cause you know what? If you told 12 year old me that shit was going to happen, you right. know, I would have like, 
slobber all over you. I don't know. I mean, that just like to- it, yes, and I think it is true. But I, and it's it's sort of that that uh, it's it's sort of yeah the like if it's ephemeral or long term. Yeah, but nothing really works long term except the sort of spiritual life and yeah. the g- gratitude for you know what we have totally so okay so taking it back so so you you were a drinker and mostly a pot smoker if i'm remembering or your dad uh, was a pot dealer like my I, dad was a pot smuggler smuggler yeah bring it up a notch girl well you wrote about it for me i still remember the photo of you two from the fix that's Sorry. right yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um yeah no my dad was a kingpin so when i was born was sort of the height of his career mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny. I was actually just like my grandmother, my, my mom and grandmother lived in so much denial at the time that they really just still are sort of like, I don't know what he did. I'm like, with it. Wow. I mean, you know, and they're yeah. like, I don't think it was that big of a deal. I'm like, he was flying DC tens of pot and you know this. And they're like, was that a big deal? Right. And I'm like, really? Like, I think, you know, there's just denial. Sort of denial. Like yeah. still. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. 40 years later. Yeah. Like the man's dead. Yeah. You know, story's long gone and still denial. I think the other thing too is that they know for me, it was always, and still to this day, I mean, I'm sober in almost nine years, and I still think it's cool. Like, I was just talking to people this weekend. Like, we were watching Narcos, and, yeah. like, one of the main characters in Narcos is Carlos Leder, who was, like, a big guy with um, uh, Pablo Escobar. And my dad helped to bring down Carlos Leder. Like, he's in the book Blow. Like, the movie Blow is all about that, bringing down Carlos Leder. And, like, my dad didn't make it into the film, um, but he was in the book as, like, right. being key to that whole deal. And... You know, and I'm like, that's still like really freaking cool to me. Like, I know. you know, like, I mean, I, and I certainly used as, in a, as a reflection of how he used, like, yeah, whiskey, cocaine, and weed, you know. But, but I mean, that had nothing to do with him being sort of this badass criminal. That was just your genetic predisposition. Or you're saying, do, right? Or are you saying oh, I, like using with him, like him? I think I used. I think I was, I feel I was genetically predisposed. Yes. I mean, I have alcoholism on, on, on a couple of different lines of my yes. family. So I don't, I think that I was pretty set up. I mean, I feel like I was exhibiting traits by age three. It's interesting. Then you have a baby and you always wonder, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I just feel like she has such a solid nervous system. Like, I feel like my nervous system was disorganized from the get-go. And I mean, like, how could it not be? Like, I was also born into a house where, like, you know, we lived on the lamb. Like, nobody could know who we were. Like, there was massive drug deals going all around. And my dad was doing cocaine in, like, the basement with his boys while my mother, like, ironed sheets upstairs trying to pretend life was normal. Like, right. I probably was pretty fucked up, like, out of the gate, you know? Right. Like, as much as my mom tried her best to create, like, a false normality, like, there wasn't, you know. Do you have siblings? No, I'm an only child. So. Um, and when you say on the lamb, like, what do you literally mean? You guys were, you know. Oh, we get up and go in the middle of the night. Like, <sighs> like running on empty, but about drugs. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, no. Seminal but, movie of my childhood for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> River Phoenix and his parents are, they're activists. Yeah, and, okay. and they killed somebody in a bombing. Yeah. And so they just are always on the run. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, we would have a house for about six months and then we would get up and leave it. Like, even if we owned it, it was very confusing. And then we'd end up somewhere else for, you know, anywhere for three to six months. And then, um, I mean, we always, we lived in like, Eastern Connecticut, like we lived, we went, and then we moved to the East Hamptons. We were on a compound actually with um, Jan Wenner and um, Ralph Lauren. So kind of baller places. We were baller, yeah. 
Yeah, my dad my, my had dad paid cash. Yeah, paid cash, yeah. My dad ran Jamaica. Like, that was his country. He wow. paid off the prime minister. Wow. And he was the sole exporter of marijuana out of Jamaica. So, like, if the Colombians wanted to bring in some Jamaican weed, they'd have to go through my dad to broker the deal, in addition to my dad just doing his own exporting. But, I mean, he was also, like, the biggest drug bust in Jamaica still to this day was a plane of my dad's that, like, they didn't lay enough runway strip for, and the stupid plane crashed because of the morons on the ground. That was, like, my dad's crew. Like, they were a little bit, like... um, High. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, basically. They were a little bit high. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a bunch of stoners yeah. trying to run like a multi-million dollar business. And right. Like, and just consistently screwing it up. And like, you know, so my dad was busted in 82 and was sentenced to 66 years, no parole. And then... um a couple, he actually broke out of prison after about a year and a half and was on the lamb for a year and a half. Shut up. Okay. It, yeah. My dad was like, you know, I mean, as I wrote in the book, like, honestly, you can't have a more like romantic outlaw archetype yeah. than I did with my dad. Right. Like the fact that I'm with somebody who like all he wants to do is stay is like just a near miracle. Right. Like, my husband might have his faults, but like he's so the antithesis of that. He's like, no, let's just be together forever. Right. Right. <laughs> like my dad was like, I will, you know, run off into the sunset and good luck trying to catch me, you know. So wow. he uh, then he got back. After that year and a half on the lam, he met up with George Young, who's the Johnny Depp plays. In yeah, Blow. yeah, the blow. Yeah, and uh, he met up with George Young. He helped bring down Carlos later. They half the sentence down to 33 years, no parole, of which he ended up serving about 25. Did he die in uh, prison? No, he was out. So he really was released in 2004, 2003 sort of my bottom timed Mm -hmm. out with his release. So he was released in 2003. Um, I actually, the weekend that he was released, I was like, a friend of mine was like selling like 25 pounds of pot in LA. And like, I was with him that weekend. We were in like the standard hotel and it was like totally crazy. Me and my best friend were like those two girls that like, were just like hanging out in the background. Right. Like a Tarantino film. Right. Remember those (laughs) chicks? And we went to go get barbecue in the valley and like I get this phone call from my roommate that my dad's out like randomly after like 24 years of waiting for the man. He just like one night gets out. Oh, my God. Free. Um, But he went straight back into the business. A year later, he was picked up, uh, sentenced and put back in for about six months or a year. Happened a couple of times over the next few years. And finally in 2008, right as I was writing 5150. So I had no idea that in the middle of my writing this book that my dad was going to be released for sort of the final time. And um, he actually, in all those previous releases, we never saw each other. I I had seen him in the holding center in Tallahassee. I actually spoke at his sentencing right before I got sober. I was like in a super alcoholic bottom. I ended up getting like trashed in Tallahassee and like... Meeting some like black dudes at a bar and trying to like buy pot off of them, oh and God. they like lived in the hood. I drove drunk to the hood to buy the pot off of them, and literally the guy gets in my car and I'm like, "So are you guys partying?" And he's like, "No, no, we're not," because he was like, "There's no freaking way this honky is coming to the party. <laughs> right. Like cops are coming so fast if you let this crazy like white drunk bitch into right. this party." Right. He's like, "No way." <laughs> well, he's like, "Here's your weed. Please go home. Be safe." <laughs> it's also funny because I guess I hadn't met you when I was editing you or whatever I remember Mm -hmm. the first time I met you and I was like oh my god this little angelic 
blonde with the blue eyes <laughs> and the innocent face. Like I was, I remember being surprised by that. <laughs> so for yeah. them, they were just like, oh, oh Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they were like, they wanted nothing to do with me. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then the next day I went and then like, you know, of course I'm telling like, I'm here visiting my dad and like the detention center, like thinking yeah, that's going to be street, badass, you know, yeah. street cred, you know, like I'm literally wearing like J crew tweed ballet slippers right. and like a merino wool sweater with <laughs> right. corduroy pants. <laughs> they were pink. Right. right. I remember the outfit to yes. the Yeah. And they were just like, what? They probably thought you were lying. Yeah. No, they just, they had no idea what I, they did. I don't think they'd actually really ever seen anything quite like me. <laughs> so they were just terrified. <laughs> I scared the living shit out of the gangbangers right more than they scared you oh yeah no they were just like oh my god get away from this girl um so uh so yeah i got to see my dad that next morning um and then i don't think i i saw him one other time no that's not true i saw him one other time to make amends in a prison in pennsylvania and then he was released and i got to have dinner with him one time in la and that was the only time i had ever seen him free since i was five years old wow and that was in the middle of 5150 and he actually became so in 5150 i started doing non-date dates like Mm -hmm. pretty early on in the book like i don't remember the book as well as i should by the way no don't worry i barely remember myself but i just remembered this fact actually i was like oh that's right they weren't all but like random dudes right right so i um at some point somebody asked me like what constitutes a date then and I remembered saying like anything that brings me closer to love so mm-hmm. I started seeing like a shamanic therapist throughout the course mm-hmm. of that year so she became a reoccurring date like mm-hmm. I went on a date with my mom and a date with my grandma and a date with my uncle mm-hmm. and like and my dad shows up like at the end of the book it was one of those like great like like life couldn't have written this right, better right, you know right. and we went on a date in LA and he walked out the door and I sort of I knew I'd probably never see him again and um, about four months later, actually it was like four months, that was October and four months later to the day he died of a heart attack in the midst of a drug deal in upstate New York. And how old was he? He was 63. Right. Yeah. Long life for the life he was living. Well, he was in prison for 25 years of that 63 wow. years. So yeah, wow. I mean, he went in when he was 32 or thir- wait, no, probably like 34 when he went in. And he wasn't released until he was about 60. So, yeah. And so, and so you're using, uh, oh, that's what I was trying. So, so alcohol and pot were your main things. And Coke. And Coke. Oh, yeah. Because potheads and cokeheads don't usually combine in the same person. In my they do in me. Look at look at this anomaly (laughs) sitting on the couch. You know what I mean, though. Don't you find that rare? Uh, I don't. And not really, not really? amongst my friends, but maybe I was friends with all the like stoner cokeheads. Yeah, maybe you found them. I did. We do find are... people like us yeah. wherever we go. Yeah, no, I was definitely, I was both of those very strongly. I was a super stoner. They used to call me Princess Floyd uh-huh. after the Brad Pitt character yeah, in yeah, True yeah. Romance. Because like, I was yeah. totally like, uh, can you get me some cleaning, cleaning products? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but then at the same time, yeah. I mean, that's, I think it, for a lot of people who get sober young, right? Like it's the drugs that bring you into sobriety a lot faster. We yeah. Could, if we were like those people that just drink, I'd probably still be drinking. Right. You know? I'd be right. like one of those women at the end of the bar that's like overly tan with a craggly voice and like right. and chain smoking. Chain smoking and yeah. like super bleached blonde hair and like, hey, honey. Yeah. Yeah. And the sunburned uh, cleavage. Yeah. yeah totally. Um, but I, yeah, the cocaine was the, uh, yeah, the, the e-ticket, as they say, yes, the e-ticket, totally in. the e-ticket. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, um, 
what made you like get sober in the end? A relationship. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it it was a lot of, you know, like every, it's sort of all the stars line up, right? Like it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up um, dating somebody who I thought was like, I found him and he's the, actually it's fifty one fifty. He's a major character in fifty one fifty because I was still obsessed with him at the time of writing the book. Mm-hmm. And he actually was a date in the book mm-hmm. where we finally got to like make it right. But um, we uh, he totally thought he had found her, and then he discovered her had a very kind of severe cocaine addiction problem. And he liked to party, mm-hmm. but like he was, you know, he was a norm. He was. He was a borderline normie. Right. You know. Right. I had clearly crossed the line. Mm-hmm. He was sort of straddling the line. Mm-hmm. And being with me only made him feel like he was really over the line. Right. So he put an end to it. And um, my friends were so tired of hearing me talk about him that, of course, I went to a therapist because they can't tell you not to talk about him because you pay them. Exactly. They'll so, listen forever. Totally. Mental prostitutes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> here's my hundred bucks, lady. <laughs> Shut so up and true. listen. I know. If only sponsors him, and him, friends him, 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 and uh, and she was awesome. Um, I remember it was at Cedar Sinai, and I'd always be in the elevator with like the um, pharmaceutical saleswomen that mm-hmm. were like so like their Together, hair was blown yeah, out, and the heels, and that yeah, and they had like keyless ignitions and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I'm so fucked up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and on my first visit, she said I could come back, but only if I went to three meetings: AA, NA, and CA that week. She wanted me to check out all three of them. And because I just wanted to talk about him, 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 I was willing. What a great therapist. She was amazing. On session one, she on said session that? session one. And also, kudos to you for being honest enough to tell her whatever you told her that well, made her say that. the craziest thing was is that I had been going to therapy for 10 years saying I never was like quiet about like, right. I didn't know it was a problem. Right. I think I was more bragging. Yeah. Like I'd be like, I would go to a therapist and be like, man, like I just did an eight ball last night. Right. And like... They never said, maybe you have a problem. They just, like, I had one in New York that literally just pet her dog the whole time. <laughs> and, like, my poor mother paid so much to all these therapists that, like, never did anything but just, like, pet their dogs. Yeah, and, I never had a therapist say a goddamn word to me about yeah. it. Yeah. Ever. And ever. then and then I hear stories like yours, and I wonder, what was wrong with them? Yeah. I just don't think, I don't know if they don't pick, I don't know. They don't teach it? Do they not know? I think, I think now it's, pretty, it's different. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in the 90s they were still, in the early, in the the, early aughts. They, they were still hungover from the 80s yes. and they were like, well, I'm doing blow in the closet. Yeah, so totally. what's wrong with what's that? What's wrong with that? So yeah, Bernadette, I remember what was her name. <gasps> Wait a minute. Not Does she work in recovery still? No, different Bernadette. I don't know. Is there a Bernadette who works in recovery? Could yeah. it be the same woman? Yeah, we'll talk off air. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Could be. Could be. I mean, is she sober? I don't know. I never found out. Okay. Um, and I actually was once in Cedars for something else and I tried to go to her office, but you like, you have to like buzz in for an appointment. No one's, you know, there's no receptionist. Cause I wanted to say thank you because right. she literally got me going to meetings and I, um, you know, I wasn't done yet. I basically would go to, I would go to this Friday night CA meeting mm-hmm. and then on the way home, I would stop at Trader Joe's and get two bottles of two buck Chuck. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm managing and controlling mm-hmm. people. It's mm-hmm. all totally fine. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and then the uncle came to town and mm-hmm. then it was clearly not fine. And I think, you know, they had both, you know, they'd had their fun days and, you know, my family was always like, we drink and dance and have a good time together. So I think that for me, knowing that they weren't coming from a judgy place and knowing that they came from a place where they, you know, might not have been exactly there, but, you know, had certainly, I mean, my gay uncle probably like, right. He had the lifestyle, but, Yeah, uh, they were at least, they came at it in just the right way. And I was already going to meetings, so I knew, mm-hmm. you know, I knew. And it just felt like, you know, if any also, you know, quit your job, come home and live for free mm-hmm. always sounds like a good idea when you're not in a good place. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. At least, I mean, I wasn't, and I was going to live with my uncle, which is kind of fun. So it wasn't even like a terrifying home. It was mm-hmm. like a, you mm-hmm. know, a safe place that had a pool. And I was yeah, like, sweet. Cool. Yeah, 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 and yeah. a jacuzzi. And I was like, I'm in. Hot tubbing. No yeah, job. my family tried that one on me too, but I didn't have a job. So I guess that it was like they were already like I was taking money from them yeah. anyway to live in my own place. Yeah. They, so you were like, I don't need that. I can just yeah. sit here by myself and not have you watching me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and when I was ready to go to treatment, I was ready to go to treatment. They yeah. were like... I did the intervention and then told them, basically, <laughs> you know. It looks like I've intervened on myself. Well, my parents are crazy. I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I called and told my mom that I cook problem, and she's like, great, come home, we'll discuss. And then she went and called a cult deprogrammer, because it was Marin County, yeah. and named Dr. Randy Rand, and they had me meet with him. And I was like, first of all, I'm not in a cult. I'm just a coke addict. And second of all, I've been deprogrammed. I want to go to treat. Yeah, you're like, no, I actually want to get into a cult. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Like I need a group De-program- of people to brainwash me. I don't need deprogram me so that I can get uh, deprogrammed yeah. against cults. Yeah. Um. So okay, and so and then after, so it took a few tries, and then you did it. Yeah, I moved to Dallas basically, mm-hmm. and that's um. You know, I I literally the night I drove in Dallas, uh, one of my party friends drove with me, and we went to a bar, and I drank everything that I would ever want to drink for the last time, and I woke up the next day and decided to be sober, and I went, and then I was sober for the next year and a half mm-hmm. until I quit Judith Regan. Okay, and then and so we ended up back out here and. You know, Judith hated alcoholics, so that was nothing I could ever share. So I couldn't be like, I need to go to a meeting. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. was one of those jobs. I mean, it was, de- I mean, Devil Wears Prada actually came out during the time of that job. Mm-hmm. And she told me to go see the movie so I could see what a good boss looks like. And then she proceeded oh, to God. blackberry me the entire movie that I couldn't even watch it. And then at the end, I was like, actually, I would so much prefer to work for Anna Winter <laughs> or Meryl <laughs> Streep as Anna Winter because she didn't scream. And God love Judith Regan. Um, I know she's got a, a publishing house running again. and I, She does, right? Yeah, she I, does. Actually, Maureen is working for it. Maureen! Yeah, yeah. Oh my which God. I'm stoked. I mean, that was actually the one person that Judith was always really good to was Maureen. Oh my God, that's amazing. That makes me want to write books again. I know. I was like, Judy. Um, But I I basically lived with her. Like we became super close. Like our joke was that everybody thought we were a lesbian couple. We moved out to LA. We were staying in the Sunset Tower Hotel in a suite together. Not bad. Yeah. And no, it was. It was the life. I mean, I like got to hang out with the Beastie Boys during that job. Like, you know, like... 
Ad Rock, like, helped me clean up a party. And <laughs> wow, wow. And Mike D's wife was mean to me. And I, you know, it was like totally like dream job, except for on the other side of that. Um, you know, there were days where I knew I was going to get yelled at for something, and my grandmother would have to remind me, you know, just remember, Kristen, she can't shoot you. And I'd be like, actually, that's debatable. <laughs> so there um, were. Yeah, it's interesting. I worked for an extreme extremely abusive boss at the at the fix and yes. it was similar personality yes. oh my god yeah. it was you know and i was writing tom sizemore's book at the same time <laughs> so you were getting it on both sides well and him <laughs> saying to me like fuck you you dumb cunt you're stupider than i thought you were was better than what i was getting yeah. from my day job and yeah it's it's a torment yeah you know no it is it's a crazy kind of hell yeah to work in a job like that and um so the day I quit, uh, while sitting in the in her bedroom at the Sunset Tower Hotel, mm-hmm. which was like a great moment for me, framed with LA in the background. Oh, right. I was like, if only there was a camera on me right now. Um, I uh, that night I took like a bar of Xanax, and that was pretty much it. And I was out. Wow. Okay. And so then, but I was I was out for a whopping three weeks, um, and in that time, I very quickly discovered that even you know, uh, you know, head full of book. Belly yeah, full of booze. Yeah, uh, it did not work. Yeah, and um, and I was just straight back into it. And the scariest part is, at least for me, in terms of relapsing, is that my tolerance was as low as it had ever been, but my craving was as high as it had ever mm-hmm. been. So I had never before been scared of overdosing. Like that was just never in my even with conscious. Coke? Yeah, with coke. Like I was just like, who does that? Right? Like mm-hmm. that's like for like. Brett Easton Ellis movies like right. that just doesn't happen right you know and um and during that three weeks like I probably was lucky to make out of make it out alive because it was just crazy how sick I was getting from stuff really yeah were you using alone no I went straight I, you know I had party friends here mm-hmm. so I just there's a gay couple who thank god for them you know like I don't have rape or like gnarly stories like that yep. in my story because I always had effeminate bodyguards as one man called them and <clears throat> those effeminate bodyguards kept my shit in check and they like they would lure me with baggies you know yeah. they'd be like oh you want to leave the, you want to leave the party and go to him but look what we've got tick 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 oh tick. so they would consciously yeah they would totally they would always bring me home with them and not let me go with randoms you know yeah I had like a very similar experience but I never I had stopped going to parties but I only <laughs> used with gays and alone my last yeah. three years yeah so that's yeah at the end I was just I actually would drink at the Normandy room which is a lesbian bar that's no longer there now in mm-hmm. West Hollywood mm-hmm. and so it was like a butch dyke lesbian I was right. the token straight girl right and then I would drink at La Barcito which is also no longer there which was like a tranny gay bar over in Silver Lake mm-hmm. that literally there's like a stage and it was awesome because it'd be me and like three like this is when they called meth tina oh yeah yeah so it would be like three trannies on tina and me like dancing on the stage while my like gay friends played pool and that was that was my bottom so your using was fun even your bottom even my butt yeah it was i guess i mean it was you know the thing was though it was until like i was left alone at the end of the night like i was with a couple 
So that couple would go off and go to bed. Yeah. And it would be me and whatever was left on that plate. Right. And the birds would be chirping. Right. right and I'd right. be smoking those cigarettes that like only had like, you know, half an inch on them. And the, right. you know, and like the, the ashtray. Yeah. You would take butts. the butts out. I would yeah. take the butts yeah, yeah, out yeah, and yeah. relight. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and like, and find whatever swill, you know, looking in the empty beer cans from the party yeah. that had been there for, you know, something that looked left and that there wasn't a cigarette butt in. Yeah. And I couldn't go to bed. Yeah. You know, no matter what I did. And I just fucking hated hated myself right and so like yeah six hours prior to that moment might have been fun mm-hmm. but I kept hitting those mornings and I did have a job so what was worse was my alarm would go off while I'm in that living room <laughs> oh hunting for a half an inch oh of a butt God. and I would have to get in the shower hopefully find something to drink you know like a couple of shots of vodka to steady myself and then drive to Beverly Hills to my job at a development company for a production company. yeah yeah. And then go into that office and pretend I wasn't dying, you know? Yeah. And like, and I would also get like, like funky jaw from Kogo where you're like, yeah. you get shifty jaws. Yeah. So I like, I like, really like hold my shit. And I'd be like at the professional office, like with my jaw shifting around, like incapable of speech. And people would be like, what? Like, but yeah. You know. And so, by the way, I did want to clarify I was employed at the end. I had the three years where I wasn't. Yeah. But no, I had those nights too. And you're driving to work and you have not gone to sleep. Sleeping. Yeah. And you're chain smoking and you're like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're like, I got to pretend I'm normal now. I would act crazy. I cried all the time, goes, <laughs> like over nothing, like all day, and um, and acted normal. Did you ever do yeah. coke at work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But that only made you worse. Like for me, I was not good with just cocaine. Like I needed coke and alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like that was my lubricant. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it was just like nails on a chalkboard. Mm-hmm. So it would just make it worse because then I would get even more like whack jaw. Mm-hmm. Like my jaw mm-hmm. would be all over the place, mm-hmm. and then I'd be crawling you know then i'd be paranoid that like everybody knew and the thing was is that like that would be you know maybe like once or twice every two weeks right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it wasn't every day so then all the other days i would come in i'd be like normal Kristen, like the right. person you see before you now so i think if i'd been like insane or like fucked up all the time right. it would almost like, be like blood, that's her personality that's me. yeah <laughs> but like they but then i would be like articulate and like pitching things in meetings and like the go-getter girl that was gonna like climb the like you know the ladder of hollywood <laughs> and then like i would come in and be you know basically mentally handicapped and they'd be like what i don't know like what could she what could possibly be wrong right and i don't think they even realized like as i later found out from a boss like he just didn't he was like i didn't think there was a problem i just thought you worked in hollywood and you were in your 20s yeah i mean that's the thing is i don't think um you know uh crazy behavior is such an anomaly yeah totally (laughs) do you know what i mean i used to um i had a writing partner who uh I would always do coke before he came over, a gay. And um, I remember talking to him later and being like, did you know that I was wired? And he goes, no, I just always thought you were really sad. Aww, that, that He's like, that's really the only sad. way I thought you were altered. It's just like Aww. really sad during those writing sessions. I know. That's but so that's pathetic. how cocaine made me the last few years, you yeah. know? Um, those bird chirping days are uh, sad. They are. They're horrible. And you begin to, you know, and that's where I don't know. Had I not got sober, I really don't think I'd be alive. Only yeah. because I don't think I would have handled it much longer. And I was taking so many pills to try to get to bed. Right. And that's and I was the gonna, thing you'll overdose Yeah, you're going to Heath Ledger at a certain point. Yeah. You know? I yeah. Mean, basically, you're going to just take the, co- the wrong cocktail on the wrong morning, desperately trying to get to sleep and not hearing that voice in your head telling you what a fucking asshole you are. Right. And you're not going to wake up up right. and and it's going to be 
slightly on purpose because you're tired of that too. Oh yeah. You know? And so I knew that that was, I knew that that was in my future and it felt like it was approaching even um, more quickly than I had anticipated. And so, you know, I, um, yeah, so that's, that's what motivated it. And on the second round, it only took me three weeks to see like, oh shit, like I, I, I very well won't make it out of this alive. Yeah. And I thankfully had an amazing sponsor who told me that, um, you know, recovery did not shut down in my absence mm-hmm. and that no one would give a shit. <laughs> so, and actually I just moved back to LA so no one even knew me. Right. So right. they really wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. Because they wouldn't even be like, oh my God, she had 18 months. As if anybody would do that Ever, anyway. But, I- I've never done that in my I, life. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because sponsees will talk about that. And I'm like, I've never heard anyone gossip. I've heard them gossip about everything, everything else. else. But, but yeah. not, I can't believe that person relapsed. relapsed. No. Ever. No, no. Um. So, and so then that's when uh, it all started. Yeah, that's when I really, that's when I got today sober. Yeah, yeah. and that was nine years ago or is that? Nine years ago, yeah, I'll be uh, October 7th. I'm nine years sober, so. Nice, yeah. nice. And I am... Um, and, and yeah, and that was, you know, that was the, that was the end. I, I mean, I remember again, it was sort of the same thing. I, I sort of knew it was happening and I, um, I drank a Sparks. I'd actually been drinking all day, but it was in down in San Diego and I ended up like drinking a Sparks, smoking a joint, reading an OK magazine and going to bed. <laughs> that was like the end. What's a Sparks? A Sparks? I don't even know that they sell them anymore. It was like an energy drink that was like, it was like orange soda with malt liquor in it. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think those things became outlawed. Energy drinks did. and alcohol. Yeah. I like together. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Gossip magazines were a huge part of my story. <laughs> I would get high on Friday and Saturday nights. I would get wired and read people in us weekly That's in the awesome. bathroom. <laughs> That's what I do now, except for without getting high. My husband's like, really another us weekly. I'm like, I need to escape. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. I mean, and I used to write for those magazines. Yeah. I well, not, see, I, my, my bread and butter now is I actually work for a nonprofit and I'm a grant, I write grants mm-hmm. for, uh, abused and neglected foster care youth. Mm-hmm. So as I say, like when I'm done doing that, yeah, you need I want to be escape. removed yeah. as far away from reality as possible. Yeah. 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 So that's why I watch things like America's Next Top Model and I read Us Weekly. And- yeah. I mean, my thing is selfish. It's not some intellectual, you know, development on my part. It's just <laughs> that it started to make me feel bad about myself. Yeah. I have that too sometimes. You know. Less so now, but yeah, I've been through phases where I couldn't. Yeah, because I mean, on any given day, I still think I'm supposed to be rich and famous. Well, yeah, I mean, it was also more the slightly the inverse of that of just um, of just like the tear them down part of the gossip stuff. Uh, It just made me feel like soul sick. You had compassion for the stars. No, I I, like (laughs) no. I mean. Not really. Is that because your ex boyfriend is one? Is that it? uh, (laughs) No, no. It was. You know. I okay. I remember the night I bottomed out on um, the Real Housewives. Mm Where I just, the way they were treating each other made me soul sick. And yeah. I couldn't, okay, well, that, and there I, was I the part that. that I was like, wait, I want a house in the Hamptons. And, and why do these awful people, people have, have that? that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, but so, okay. So at your life now, besides that, you, so you, so you work for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. um, you You've ghostwritten a bunch of books, right? Yeah. I, uh, after 5150, I got into the business of ghostwriting. And I mean, you know, I continued to try to write the second book, which sadly just never would make it past uh, draft one. I had, 
I was going to do a book on my dad, actually. Yeah. That did get, you You actually helped me get an agent, I too. did? Yeah. I vaguely remember. Oh, you're he, like my guardian angel of that, writing. But what happened with that agent? Are you still with that agent? He's no longer an agent. Okay. Yeah, Jason. is He left. That guy was so media. into being an agent. He was. But Jason he actually, Ashlock, right? Yes. Yeah, but he does digital publishing now, and he's really gotten into yeah, that. He was yeah, already yeah. into that even when he was agenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually doing a book for somebody right now that he introduced me to. So he's, I've stayed in touch with him throughout the years, even though he doesn't um, represent anymore. And I was, um, I actually had people interested in doing a documentary because I became good friends with a documentary filmmaker whose father was actually my father's lawyer. So we had this relationship between our two dads and we kind of, it was kind of an opportunity for us to sort of do a work together. Mm -hmm. And he had done, he did an Oscar nominated documentary a few years back and then he got on board a producer who had done spellbound that awesome oh, spelling bee doc yeah yeah so the three of us put together this whole pitch it was like going out on my dad's life and my aunt put the gabosh on it oh because and she's in denial no she's not the one in denial about she it. is in denial about my dad yeah my whole everybody basically all the women around my father are uh-huh. in denial about my dad yeah. um but yeah she was like uh-uh. and to be honest my father put her through so much hell it felt like a really selfish thing i mean of course i could have pushed forward with it yeah but it was like you know what for my own personal gain really like she's already been through enough because of my father's desire for his own personal gain and i just didn't feel i needed to walk any that's in his nice. footsteps that's so yeah we um yeah no it is i mean, I mean you just later, been like, like should i have done that well, she's you, not gonna, she, you can just not see it you know but no yeah I but it's it. his yeah game. and she you know she i i understood and she's older and it was like you know what it's it's okay and we all sort of agreed that you know my the director on the project, because of his own history with his own father, I think had a uh, had a had compassion around that issue mm-hmm. too, and so we both sort of agreed to set it aside. And um, yeah, so I started ghostwriting and uh, write. You know, fifty one fifty is all about uh, being single, and literally, as it was about to be published, I ended up dating yeah. the man that became my husband. Yeah, like the weekend I went out to do publicity for the book, I came back and moved in with him. Right. So it was kind of wild. Like the timing of fifty one fifty like happened just as I was getting together with, and you know, my husband. I do. Prior to even me dating him, I did. Yeah. yeah. So um, and. Um, so anyway, we uh, we began dating right around that time, and I started freelance writing, which was like a dream come true. And those years were awesome, and I got to go to like New York for a project. And I remember, mm-hmm. and I had like you know crazy projects too that like fell flat on their face, and totally it was terrifying, and I had no money, and yeah. you know like those things happen too because yep. like you're just going from project to project yeah. with like nothing in between, and. It was terrifying and um, and exhilarating, and it involved me having to temp sometimes at corporate real estate companies and want to shoot myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I just – it was awesome. And then I decided to go get a master's degree and do that in Paris, France because isn't that a dream? And yes. So, but then it wasn't. It but then it wasn't. It didn't turn out to be dreamy. No, because yeah. I hated Paris. Yeah. Terrible city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an awesome city to visit. I, I yeah. Mean, I can't wait to go back and visit. It's, right. And and it's awesome in April. I mean, they wrote a song, like, April in Paris, because it's, like, April is the time to go. Yeah, it's one month isn't, a, isn't enough one, for it to be great. Yeah, one month is awesome. Yeah. yeah. A, a year, and some people love it, and I get it, but it's just... 
I grew up consistently judged on how I looked, how I dressed, and whether I was cool enough mm-hmm. by a very judgmental grandmother who now lives in my backyard. But I literally in your literally backyard. In my, I like to pretend she lives in a tent, but there's a guest house in the oh, back you take of our care house. Of her kind of. Uh, no, no, I, I was kind enough. Yes. I like to think of it that I yes. was kind enough to let her move into my property. She does provide free childcare from time to oh, time in turn, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, you know, um, but I don't know if she's happy with the deal. Mm-hmm. Someday she is, she loves the baby, mm-hmm. but you know, like your parents have their version of how you should live your life and you have your version on how you should live your life. Right. And I think for some of us, that struggle is a lot more, um, uh, clear or heightened. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was my whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, since I was like a little kid, they had their Kristen, you know, cookie cutter mm-hmm. version of me and I had me. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of my rebellion was in fact against that girl who was like, I mean, it was a little flowers in the attic minus the incest, right. you know, but like right. I grew up like the only child. My, my grandmother never had any other grandchildren. I lived in a room with my mom for the bulk of my childhood. The three of us lived together in a small condominium in Dallas. Right. Like, wow. I was dressed in bows and like, mm-hmm. I was always just, my grandma's very cool. Like she's still to this day. Mm-hmm. Like she, she like wears Vince mm-hmm. and you know. <laughs> okay. So that's how she could be judgy about yeah. which is how, what Paris kind of brought out was. Well, Paris is basically filled with my grandmother. Right. Like my grandmother's always dreamt of going to Paris and she'd be perfect there. Cause yeah. she's one of those people that like on any given day, she walks out of the house and looks awesome. And right. like, not in like a fan, like it, she's like, looks like Hollywood, like wow. cool. <laughs> like she wears like little white jeans rolled up and like the perfect little like you know like um flared top with like wow. awesome sandals that you're like where the hell did you get those sandals like how do you have yeah. those sandals you know wow. and like and she you know she wears like a little like now she's into like her little straw fedora which is I'm kind of like you're a little behind schedule on that Nana but it looks so Maybe cute it's on coming her back. she's probably bringing it back yeah. like she's a she is a trend starter and she's always been that way like you know right. with her little like yellow bright yellow Marc Jacobs purse you know and you're like Jesus yeah, that's and a lot and as a kid I mean we all kind of worshipped her like my uncles my mom and I like every she was that way like in the 60s she was the coolest mom on the right. block you right, know right. like she wore pillbox hats before Jackie O did right. and she had a Mustang convertible before anybody else did and she was that woman in the 60s and like she's still that woman in the teens like mm-hmm. at 83 she's like way cooler than I will ever be <laughs> that's amazing and like and she's still like I mean I, she basically has bought the entire outfit I'm wearing right now in right, fact thank you yeah she bought it thanks yeah so, um, <laughs> so, so she, so, you know, when I went to Paris, it was basically like being surrounded by my grandmother. So you felt, I mean, you were making that up a little bit, right? Like people weren't coming up to you and being like, well, why are you wearing that pink? Uh, you know, I was at Figaro Cafe or how do you pronounce it the other day? And I was chatting with a guy there who's from Paris and he said, you know, the problem with Paris is that they just walk around looking you up and down all the time. Like, eh, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? What do you look like? And I was like, yeah, it's my fucking grandma. That's like, I, I'm not alone. The, the cute gay boy, gay Parisian boy has the same experience so well so okay so we have to wrap up um what what should we say to wrap up um you okay so you now have a one-year-old she's six months she's only six months yeah um so yeah because i saw you like three months ago or something yeah totally yeah yeah she was a little three-month little pup and now she's a six-month little pup and you know i mean we talk about like 
you know, I have to say it's probably the most enduring happiness I've yeah. ever experienced. Yeah. At first it wasn't. The first three months were sheer hell. And I was yeah. like, where's the joy in this? Right. I don't get it. Like, right. why, why the fuck did I just sign up for this lifelong commitment right. for something that is not that much fun? Yeah. Like, that was really dumb, particularly for someone who only likes to do things that are fun. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know? Um, but then, like, you hit this mark and it totally changes. And, yeah. like, every day is like, you're like, this is enduring joy. Like, everything else might suck, or not, you know, yeah. but like, I, you know, my career box isn't checked right now, but, you know, but like, it's like, but I've got this babe. And so, and, you know, um, and we'll see, you know, she's the only thing that lately I'm like, you know, do I do a mommy blog? Is that what you do now? Like, yeah, you know, do I think people do? It is. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've, I've bought the site. Oh, you and did? I did. Should you tell us the name? Queenbabymamas.com. Great. Yeah. Great. You so heard the it queen, here first. Queen Baby is off of King Baby. My husband actually came up with that one. Yeah. 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 And the then, idea of alcoholics. Yeah. So we're queen babies. Yeah. But then we're also baby mamas. Yeah. Like it. So, and I, and it's basically for, for fucked up moms like that's kind of like the idea that I wanted to do was for women that like there's a lot of mom hating out in the mommy sphere as Mm -hmm. I've discovered like a lot of people it's like because for forever you weren't like allowed to talk about like what a shitty job it was yeah you know you just had to pretend you loved it and how great your kids were and all that yeah and now people are you know can say do you know Stephanie Wilder Taylor I don't. Oh, she's a previous podcast guest. Okay. Maybe on board, B-O-R-E-D. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's her whole thing. Thing, yeah. yeah. So, and I know that's, a, you know, but I do think that women of a certain ilk who have their shit, you know, also um, come to the table with a whole lot of other stuff around parenthood. And I yeah. know, and also getting to do what you don't feel was done so great in your own life. Right. You know, I mean, I did choose a, you know, my husband we split parent duties. He does half the week. I do the other half the week. And my grandmother's our pinch hitter in between. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, but like we're co-parenting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the girl, like my family is all like, like the woman should be at home and the husband should work all the time. And right. like they have a lot of issues around it. And I'm like, for me, I think it's the best scenario for a kid to grow up in. Like I didn't have a dad at all. Yeah. And like even I'm sure you can attest, even people that did have a dad, they weren't present. No. You know, they were just sort of that like figure in the background that like came in as a guest star, you know? Pay the bills, yeah. Yeah. And like, and she is really getting this like amazing, you know, my husband's got like his whole, my husband's very like surfer, skater, punk rock guy ish, Mm -hmm. super sensitive version of all of that. (laughs) And, you know, and he gets to like, you know, she was wearing, I don't know what band, some band. Some punk band from the 80s, like L.A. punk band. Anyway, and he had her in like that onesie yesterday and my grandmother had like a fit. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, yeah, I'm, I dress her in a lot of pink and like you will see her today and she's totally dressed like little girly style, you know, but like I'm really grateful that she's also going to have days when she's out with dad and she's wearing her like punk rock onesie, you yeah. know, <laughs> and she gets to have like that element in her life, too. And. Um, and we get to raise this baby with a whole other set of rules that is definitely informed by both of us being sober and in recovery and Mm -hmm. not like, you know, like my husband said today, like, hopefully we won't have a crazy teenager because we're going to support her and being herself. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have a cookie cutter for her, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I want her to create her own mold and Mm -hmm. like support her in whatever that mold may be. Mm -hmm. 
and not have any expectations on her. And I think like, because of that, like going back to that piece of like the solid nervous system versus the like Mm -hmm. completely disorganized one. Like she is so cool. Like she's a little bit like my grandma. Like she kind (laughs) of like looks you up and down Mm because she's like, you know, she's got her shit together Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're still kind of the crazy people. So, well, lady, we got to wrap up. I'm excited to go meet her and thank you so, so, so much. Oh no, thank you. So that was Kristen McGinnis, author of 5150, The Magical Adventures of a Single Life. And yes, I learned the entire name of the book in between recording this intro, the intro and this outro. Anyway, go go get the book. Go check out more Kristen McGinnis. Go uh, and keep listening to this podcast. And thank you. I've gotten some lovely emails of late, and I'm so grateful for every single one of them. So yeah, this was After Party Pod. See you next time.